Hey everyone, it's Michaela. Happy to be back with you for another episode of Dissect Ed. We are right in the middle of our series on workplace burnout, and I am joined again by last week's guest, Jermaine Sharp, who co-facilitates a roundtable discussion on workplace burnout with some amazing people. This week and next, you will get to know Debbie Michelli, a newly retired elementary school teacher, Jonathan Nomowitz, a high school special educator, Justin Escar, founder and CEO of Virtua Consulting Group, and Kristen Ways, a paraprofessional in early childhood education. In this episode, we discuss how burnout has shown up for us, what we did and continue to do about it, tips for listeners, and have an open and honest dialogue analyzing when we started equating burnout with success, how we know enough is enough, and set up next week's episode where we get pretty frank about what employers need to do to help their employees. I have no doubt their stories and candid dialogue will resonate with you. Let's get right to it. So, uh, good evening, everyone. Once again, thank you all for coming, up, coming on this evening to discuss this topic that's near and dear to Michaela's heart. Uh, if we just go around really quick, starting with Jonathan. Can you just, Hi, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jonathan, just let us know your name, your profession, how long you've been doing it. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan Nomwitz. I've been a, a teacher of special ed English and math for 17 years. Um, and I, I got asked to be here today by Michaela, who I worked with for a few years in the, in the job that I'm currently uh, still at. And I was really excited to talk uh, about burnout in teaching, especially after the, the year we just had especially um, with the work that I do currently. Uh, so thank you very much for having me. Uh, Kristen? Hello, I'm Kristen Ways and I'm a teaching assistant and I've been doing it for 15 years. I worked the first seven in a therapeutic setting. Um, and then the last eight has been in special ed, early childhood, which is uh, what Justin. my background is. She's also my cousin. I think she would be embarrassed to say that. Kristen, are you embarrassed by me? <laughs> Absolutely not. We're the, only, we're the only two girl cousins in the family. We are. <laughs> we are. No. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, Justin. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, Justin, I'm from New York. I run an Apple consulting agency, so I am an outsourced IT provider. Uh, yep. And, uh, so I've been running the company, uh, I've owned virtual computers for about 13 years. We currently, or we recently upgraded to moving to a bigger company. We're now a virtual consulting group. Um, that is a mix of virtual computers, virtual consulting, virtual XYZ, where we do apps and hardware and things like that, and also conferences. So, um, it's a, it's different. I have a different perspective than everyone who's an educator since, uh, you know, running a business, is very similar, in my opinion, to, to being a principal, as Michaela was talking earlier about, you know, managing people and things like that. So looking forward to telling the stories and seeing what, what happens here. And last but not least, thanks, Justin. Uh, can we have Debbie? Hi, I'm Debbie Michelli. I have been teaching for 40 years and I am waiting to retire. I'm waiting for the retirement board, <laughs> but uh, I capped off those 40 years with probably one of the most difficult ones I've ever had. Um, I have taught at the elementary school level the whole, the entire 40 years, whether it's classroom or reading or writing, but, uh, or at URI as an adjunct writing teacher. But um, so I've 
done a lot of this and I've had some stressful years. This one definitely, it was quite the way to end it. Uh, end everything. Anyway, uh, I like to liken it to um, trying to spin plates while wash in the living room while washing them in the kitchen at the very same time because we were doing the um, in-person and distance learning concurrently at the very same time. So it was it was not easy for this technologically not very savvy person. Anyway, so I'm here because I know Michaela not from teaching with her, but I've heard all her accolades because I know her family. So, and I'm here and I thought it was interesting. So thank you for inviting me. Right, thanks everybody for shows. Um, so real quick, just to jump into it so we can get this ball rolling. This topic we're talking about burnout. What is, what about this topic resonates with you? And the, can you tell us what's the importance of recharging? Why is that important to you? I'm going to leave it open floor. Uh, anybody just jump in when they feel like it. I can I can jump in. This is a Jonathan here. I'll jump in on on sort of the important importance of burnout. Um, to me, it's sort of been something that's plagued me for my whole teaching career. I, I've I worked uh, in a residential therapeutic high school. I've worked at a vocational school. A lot of small schools in small settings with you know not very well defined roles all the time. And I'm someone who tends to absorb odds and ends, um, which I think was 80% of my coaching sessions with Michaela when I worked with her, uh, I was learning, learning how to set limits. So for me, this, this tendency to sort of occupy strange spaces and take on roles has sort of haunted me my whole teaching career. And I think I've been prone to sort of overwork and, and, and um, feeling the, the pressure of, of taking on too much. And I only recently have started to develop the ability to set up my own boundaries around those things, which took a lot of time and a lot of uh, coaching. Um, so for me, burnout's really important because I have been at work and been at jobs where I feel inadequate, exhausted, where I never feel the success of the job that I'm doing because I've gone beyond that sort of threshold of what I can tolerate and what I can actually do. Uh, so this, this is just something that for me, I think has been part of my experience really from the beginning and, and how to better better manage it and hopefully i'm starting to figure it out now um, uh justin that, you know, as an entrepreneur a lot especially now because entrepreneurialism now is the cool hip thing right now there's classes in college that teach entrepreneurship and stuff like this and everybody sees all the ballers on instagram and wants to you know all this stuff the, the, and, and everyone talks about the hustle for, for entrepreneurs it's all about the hustle you got to put in every every waking hour and you only sleep six hours at, at, at maximum at night and you got to work seven days a week. And it's just like, that's going to kill you. Like, that's just the end all be all of it. Right. Like you can't, you, nobody could be on all the time. And um, because when you really are an entrepreneur, when you really own a business and you're not just playing with it on social media, you realize that you're accountable for so many things. So much like, and I, I'm going to try to make the analogies to teaching as much as possible, but like much like as a teacher, you're, you're, you're you know, you're in charge of your students. For us, we're in, we have to take care of, we have to, we answer to our, our clients, right? If our clients are having problems, if it's two in the morning, like we have to answer and do with it. But if something goes wrong and one of my staff messes up or does whatever, like the buck stops with me. So there is a constant pressure of owning a business, right? I got to take care of my clients. I have to take care of my staff. I then I have to take care of myself, my family. And someone always gets the, the bottom end of that stick. And 
it's very easy. And I see a lot of people, especially in the entrepreneurial world, like who just burn out, who just can't handle um, being, you know, doing this the right way. And then they wonder why did I fail or, or whatever it is. And the reality is it's just, they, they didn't have the right mindset to go into how to do this. And they need to learn to like, it's okay to take a vacation. Like I, I, I suffer from the same thing. And I know we'll get into this. Like I literally had this conversation with my wife like two days ago. And I was like, I'm so annoyed about this thing. She's like, you need a vacation. I'm like, where would I go that my clients can't find me? Like there's nowhere, like, like I, my entire job is remote well before COVID. Like they're going to know, unless I go to like Japan where, where there's a 15 hour time difference, like they're going to find me. Right. So it's very hard to be able to disassociate uh, uh, from work and disconnect. And that is a huge problem that a lot of people, especially when they're being taught how to be an entrepreneur, they never talk about that part of it. So that's kind of why I was intrigued by, by tonight's conversation. Uh, Debbie. Well, um, I, I have always, I live three minutes from my school and trying to get away from it at the end of the day, especially at, at the elementary level, environmentally, it's very important to set up the room to have, there's a lot of um, things within the classroom environment. And I have learned over the years that no matter how long I stay there, I can never finish everything that I could do. I could start something and just keep going and going forever. So living three minutes away from the school where I work meant I was staying there till six, six thirty, And, uh, I, then I bring things home and correct them. And the one thing I did was I wouldn't go in early because I would just, the one, good thing about being three minutes from school is, you know, I jump in the car five minutes before I had to be there and get there, but I was putting in really long days and I ended up having to set some limits because I, I would say things like I have to get home before the sun sets today. Uh, I want to see the sunset. And then what would turn out to be, I would do that and I'd go take pictures of the sunset. It was my way to get out of there. I ended up having to create a lot of limits for myself because otherwise I could just keep doing what I was doing and then I'd be exhausted and tired and grouchy. So I found that I was creating a lot of stress just by always thinking of something more to do within my classroom. And I also have some responsibilities, but nothing like people with children. I could go home and only have a dog. And that was, even my dog was demanding, but still it wasn't like I had children. I have a mother I take care of, but I really, it was really all about me taking care of myself so I could do those types of things. But I still felt overwhelmed by um, the things that I put upon myself by always being there. I would volunteer for everything. So that way the people with children would be able to go home at night and then I'd stay after school and do this meeting or that curriculum or whatever, because I felt like it was not having children. I should do that for them. Uh, and those were my early days and my middle days. And up until like the last three, when I just started saying, you just can't keep doing this, you need to get out there and you need to get away from it. Um, it it's, it's just tired stress. I'm very lucky because I work with people I love. So, you know, that part of, I didn't have that kind of stress, but definitely I was putting in way more than I was able to give. And it was just sapping me. Uh, Kristen. You're welcome. I, I think I've learned over the 15 years, um, some strategies for, for trying to balance work and home life. Um, and I've learned not just myself, but from people I work with. 
and things, you know, like walking right after school. Um, we bring our stuff with us and there's different people that will walk right, you know, after school, rain, snow, it doesn't matter. We walk every day that we can, unless there's something. So that's something that we can do. We get exercise, we de-stress that way. And that's one thing that I find really important for us. Um, another thing that I found helpful is, I mean, this year especially was stressful, but I enjoyed this year because I was able to be in the classroom and I know not everyone even within my school was able to be in the classroom. So I was appreciative to be in the classroom, but it was stressful in that it wasn't ideal. And there were so many different roles and so many different scenarios within the year. But I had to, we have to have closure at the end of the year. So the things that I found could have gone better and didn't go well, and you have to do something with that. And you have to have communication within our school is all preschool. It's all special ed preschool. So we kind of work as a family, the whole school. And I think that's important too for us. So we do communicate very well. We haven't always, but we do right now. And um, so being able to say to the principal of my school, this is what I think went really well this year. This is what I think we could improve upon. Um, I was able to work as a teacher for a month um, because we needed staff this year. So people were working all over the place, wherever they had to. And so I got a different perspective doing that. And um, I could see where they could use a mentor program. They don't, they don't have that right now. A new teacher comes in and they're just thrown into the job. And although you come out of school and you should have what you need, you don't know everything. And you certainly don't know every school is set up different. Every classroom set up different. Every program is set up different. And I said, these poor teachers come in here and they should have a mentor in each program. We have like five different programs just within our school. So if they had a mentor from each program for every new teacher, just someone they could fall back on and have communication with to rely on. So just things like that, just to be able to communicate and, and have some closure at the end of the school year. And even though I'm just a teacher assistant, oh, I know, but some people feel that way. Like they feel I'm not going to, I, it doesn't matter. I don't have a say. I don't feel that way. I feel like I can share my perspective as an educator and from my viewpoint, because I learned so much from working in all the different classrooms. So I might've gone a little off topic, but. You're good. You are not just a, That's what not I mean. just a teaching assistant. No, but some people I'm do sorry. feel that way. And some people are treated that way. I do not feel that way. Um, in fact, I'm the I'm the building rep for the teacher assistants. We have 25 teacher assistants in just our building. Um, so we have a large percentage in the building. And we also need a mentor program because we have 
especially in our district, they have to be, um, they have to have an associates. So they're, they're skilled personnel, but they're not necessarily skilled in what they're going to be doing day one. So they, they do need specialized training. Every classroom's different. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, Bill, yeah, definitely. I think you and I should definitely jump on it. We, Jermaine and I had a, a much more in-depth um, conversation the other day, but I think um, it's good for this for this purpose and for you guys too to hear from us. Um, for me, I think uh, other than my own, like, I guess, burnout story and how I like internally have come to decisions I've made in my career and life. Um, what really fascinates me, it really is, it was the, it was what, it was Jermaine's post, which brought me back to um, the article that my colleague shared with me three years ago. It was this phrase, and I've seen it a few different ways now called, it says burnout, don't wear burnout like a badge of honor, or burnout is not a badge of honor. And I had never, ever thought of it that way before. And I thought about myself, I thought about others, and I said, yeah, even when I was, I mean, I always grinded, but when I was grinding, you know, getting four hours of sleep a night, I felt accomplished. I felt like I was working hard and it meant something. Um, and some of those times I was feeling a lot of success and things were going really well. But um, that, why do we wear that as a badge of honor is kind of what brought me into this because the thing is that burnout has actually brought me to the ER, not because I fell downstairs, um, but because I, you know, my school nurse thought I was having a heart attack um, that was stress induced. And so I, some pretty scary things have come up for me in my life um, as I was apparently wearing this badge of honor of burnout. Um, and I thought, and I, it was my own self-discovery that really made me think, what is this? But when I started hearing other people say it, and started seeing like Forbes and Wall Street Journal and all these different places publish these articles. And people who I really looked up to and respected also say the same thing. I said, wait, are they onto something? <laughs> because why is it's just been a curiosity for me as well as my own as my own journey of self-discovery and as well as be, being responsible for looking out for the well-being of of staff. So I'll turn it over to, to you, Jermaine. Uh, so just real quick, I mean like I said, we've been talking about this for a while. And even on my own self-reflection of my burnout story, like I told her, there were there was times when I was working for my one of my former employers, it, I spent easily 10 months out of the year flying. And I, I live on an island, so I have to fly everywhere. So I'm talking, there were days, there was times I would literally jump on a plane on a Sunday evening, fly to a different country, stay there for a week, fly home Friday night, wash pack a suitcase on Saturday and back on a plane again on Sunday. I've had it happen like 250 plus days a year at some points. But then after speaking about this, when we were talking the other night, I actually called a coworker of mine. She was in charge of finance for the company and she was the only person in that department. And she would literally come to work at 4 a.m., leave at 9, 10 o'clock at night seven days a week for months. It, it literally got to the point that she, her doctor took her out of work and gave her medical leave for six weeks because her body literally just started to shut down. 
she wasn't eating, she wasn't working out, she was her her personal relationships were being affected by it. And so you see these little things around. And ironically enough, the lady I'm telling you guys about, she headhunted me from my previous company to come and work with them because she thought she knew we were alike. We we she knew that I would work sixteen hours a day and not be faced by it because it was expected. Senior management, that's what we do. We we go above and beyond. We lead by example. If the other staff see us working this way, they will work as hard. And again, that came back to the post, this badge of honor, this this cape that we wear of working these long, arduous hours and sacrificing everything to make sure that the work is done was seen as a positive. But at the end of the day, when you really internalize it, it's it's really not, that's, to me at least, that's not what it is. It's literally killing yourself to accomplish something that has been habited to us as this is what as success like is. When that started, right? Because like my parents, albeit they're, they're older than other people's parents that, that are the same age as me, like they didn't, that, that generation didn't do that, right? Like you watch TV shows, you know, of, of, of businesses that happened in the 40s and 50s. It was it was nine to five, Monday to Friday. You, you get drunk every night, you go home, whatever, like the weekends or whatever. Like when did the idea of you work yourself to a, the bone and, and, and Jermaine, you said something, which is that senior management, you know, you're, you're setting the example for the people under you. Like, when did that become the thing to do? And I've never, I never understood where that just started because like, I understand now the current generation trying to follow in the footsteps of, of my generation. We're doing it because we were told somewhere in between my parents who are baby boomers and whatever you want to consider me, a mm-hmm. Gen X and Xennial, whatever the name is, the you know, flavor <laughs> of the month for our generation, like where that became okay. Um, and I even know people in, in, in entrepreneur, like I listen to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk. If you're an entrepreneurial entrepreneur person, you know who he is. Like he talks about it. You got to hustle. You got to hustle. I'm like, dude, you got to stop telling people to do this. I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Mc, um, sorry, Jonathan, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, cause Justin, I, I don't know when it started, but everyone to me is talking around the same thing. This, this badge of honor, the, when did this start? Why are we telling them to hustle? It's just, it just becomes sort of, uh, I guess, part of the ethos of, of wherever I've been, you know, certainly, um, Michaela will, will understand in the time that we work together, but there is this, this ethos that that is what we do. That is how you're successful. That is what marks a good employee. And I, and I know for me, I victimize myself. I sacrifice myself to that ethos because as a person and as a worker, like I want to be good at my job and I want to be thought of as good at my job. And, and that has meant like feeding this, this thing, right? Uh, where, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do that. I'll pick up all these extra things because I want to be viewed as a good employee. I want to be productive. And, and for some reason, more is what's viewed, you know, this ethos of, of do more. And the cost is really high. And for context too, um, Michaela, you know, I think about some of the, Michaela was my coach in my last job. We think about some of those coaching sessions where, Michaela would have to check me. He's like, are you sure you can do this? This feels like a lot. And of course I would lie to her and say, yeah, no, I got it. And then uh, round and round we, we would go, right? Um, so I, I don't know where it starts, but it does, it does feel like it's, it's spiraling. You know, like every year 
I'm having more and more conversations with more and more people across the age spectrum and the experience spectrum where they just get pulled in. And if you're not having your soul crushed with, with, <laughs> with, uh, with work, you're somehow doing it wrong. Uh, and that's really scary. I mean, it's scary for myself, but I really worry about um, younger people that I work with, you know, coming out, being in their early twenties, having a crisis because they like, that's, that just blows my mind. Um, and, it, and it's, and it's tough. I work with a younger group uh, right yeah. now um, and seeing people 25 years old in a life crisis because they feel like they're not doing enough when they're pulling 80 hour work weeks. Um, it's really, it's terrifying. And, and it adds to my feeling of helplessness and burn. And to be honest, uh, to be surrounded by no, that. No, no, go to me. Does anybody ever, Sorry, does anybody ever does anybody ever realize that that, that little part in your contract that says and any yeah. other duties as necessary? Like that is just like oh, it's like it's like that wormhole that they just suck you in. Like this is your job description, but I need you to do this and this and this and this. And oh, by the way, these are your, your new duties because it falls into this particular part of your contract, and you kind of feel trapped because you did sign the contract that says I will perform any duties as necessary. But there's no, there's no stop gap to keep you from keep absorbing more and more responsibilities. And once you do the I, job, I don't, I don't think, I think there is a stop of, gap. It kind of gets you there. Is that, Justin. Is, is that the six people that are on this call understand that the, that the stop gap is you stop working and you leave, right? Like if, yeah. if, if I, and I'm very cautious about this with my staff, right? I, I, I give my staff extra days off. I'm very lenient with my staff. I tell them you're not working on the weekends unless it's an emergency that we have to. Like, I don't bother them. If I send them a Slack message after hours, I always preface it with, do not answer this until tomorrow because I don't want them working, right? So the thing is, if you're at that point and, and if you're listening and, you're, and you realize, like, ah, this might be me, like, if you're doing those extra duties and the ROI on that is becoming smaller and smaller and your time is going more and more and you're doing more and more, like, the, the stopgap is stop. Think about your job, and then maybe there might be something better or something else or someone else, or someone else you should be working. Yeah, and I think I mean I guess Justin, that's kind of in, you know it's it's interesting. I'm checking my notes for this um, episode, and we're really actually just kind of flowing down the river of this conversation of of uh, of burnout because I, we're naturally getting to the part where we're like, okay, you know, Justin, you pose a question: when did it? Um, when did we start our, doing this to ourselves? Um, and when did it become that expectation? And then the, my question is, and then when did we all say, wait a second, this is not okay, right? At what point did we all have our our own and then collective um, uh, aha moment that like, wait a second, something's not right. And maybe it is that I'm not getting the return on the investment or what, am I 36 in the hospital hooked up to a machine because I would be having a heart attack when I was an athlete my whole life? I don't get this. Um, and uh or like not recognizing who you are anymore or having a relationship impact. Like there's so many different things I think that bring us to this point of like, wait a second, what am I doing? And sometimes it's just in time and other times maybe it's too late for that relationship or the health issue or, um, or performance on the job. Um, and I think that, you know, my, I think that the thing that's been fascinating to me now, it wasn't fascinating before I got myself out of the situation. Fascinating to me now, it was uh, something I was surviving until I got out. But um, is what I'm interested in is like, is there something that, what needs to happen in order for that to change? And we don't need to answer that question right now. I think we're getting there. But like, I used to wake up, I used to say to myself every day driving into my last job where I was with Jonathan, I used to literally every day drive in 
praying that the next day I would wake up and everything would like be fixed and I'd want to be there forever. Because if you think about what that job was, that job fit me perfectly as far as like everything that, that, what that it entails and looking at my strengths yet it burned me out to it, to it, to a point where I was just beyond, uh, beyond repair. I couldn't repair it within that setting. I tried for three years and I couldn't. Um, and so, you know, I think my question is, uh, ultimately like pushing the conversation down the road of whose responsibility is it? What agency do we have as employees, right. To, to really stop, stop and like keep ourselves in that setting. If we really do like the job or like the people we're around, how do we make that happen? Um, and, or if we do need to leave, um, what are the employer's responsibilities? Like, what do what do organizations, school systems, especially, need to know and do in order to stop this from happening? Because a lot of us do it to ourselves. But I think I can't I can't speak for everybody. I know I have worked for organizations that have also expected it from me and done it to me. So I do I'm my own worst enemy. And I also have worked for places where they did they expected it also. Um, and we would almost be punished if we would speak up and say, you know, this is this is too much. Um, so I guess that question is like, A, what did we all realize? Why are we all, why is this just now becoming something we're talking about saying, no, burnout's not cool? I, For me, I think it it's more than one situation. I think one is self-realization. When you, when you have hit a certain point in your life that you go, yeah, I'm good at X, Y, and Z but this is not me. This is not where I want yeah. to be. When you, when you dread getting up in the morning to go to work, it, it's, it's, a sing, it's more of a signal that A, this job is not right for you, or B, there's something not right. There's not a balance there. When, when you have friends and family yeah. that go, this is not you anymore. Like when your entire outlook on life and your personality begins to shift, it, it should be, a, and the thing is, most of the time you don't even see it. It takes someone in the outside coming and saying, "What is wrong?" And that's where you know something is off. Like I, I Michaela is the one person here that knows me. I am the most laid back dude. I don't, I don't make things bother me. True. I don't get upset. Yeah. I, <laughs> I get, I get road rage. That's probably about it. <laughs> and you have to really be stupid on the road for me to get upset but like there was a point in and this was before I left my last job that everything annoyed me like somebody chewing too loud in a restaurant kicked me off right. that, and, and that's I don't care like that's, that's not me so I think that's when I started to realize it and then when, when you go to your bosses and you you know, you, you, you know you're putting in all this blood and sweat and tears into this job and you're, com you're doing three or four people's duties at the same time and their response to you is, you should be happy you have a job. You know, like, why am I killing myself for, and that is your reaction to it? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So you, you, when you start to pull back and then, and this is the part that really is kind of, I think a lot of young people, like John was saying, is going to face when you start to pull back and stop doing all those extra duties, and, and Justin said this earlier, you perform this top gap. Now, is the boss going to look at you and say you're underperforming and try to push you to go harder? Or do you say this is not for me and 
reel yourself back and try to find you and go to another spot. I think that is where a lot of people, that realization comes in. That is the, that is the catalyst. Yeah. And Jermaine, I think that that exact moment that you're describing is sort of at the heart of the issue because there's a collision between personal accountability, like Justin was saying, like, stop, like, the, like the, that can live with us. But then this broader uh, cultural sort of ethos around hard work, right? Like, I know for me, I almost always need an external limit because I'm really not good at, at recognizing my own limits. So like, if the accountability lies with me to, to monitor that, I'm, I'm going to fail at that. Um, and so this idea that like, if I do pull back, I may not be succeeding at work. Like the gap between those two perspectives is at the heart of the matter. And I'm thinking back to what Kristen and Debbie, you guys each said something that was like personally resonant and upsetting to me. Like Debbie, this idea that you were the one picking up the extra duties because you didn't have kids at home. And Kristen, this idea that you're just, you know, you're just the, the assistant. Um, like this is all the same thing to me. Like that's, that's profoundly wrong that you are at work, even experiencing a moment like that, like that, that Debbie's time is somehow less valuable because she doesn't have children at home or that you're made to feel uh, like you're not a central figure in the operations of the school. Um, to me, that's part of what I was talking about earlier. This, this weirdly pervasive cultural ethos. I can only speak in education um, that, that more is more and more is better. Um, and I think that the real problem, the way that I see it is the, the ability to change that lives at a high level. If, if school districts and businesses and companies could shift that, it would make the workspace healthier for employees. But right now, the onus is on employees to say, this may not be for me. And I think that that's a, that's a tremendous gap and it's hugely problematic because that's an inversion of responsibility. The people creating the environment should be responsible for the environment, not the people operating in it. And so when the, when the responsibility falls to the people operating in the environment, you're going to have more and more people experiencing this burnout. Okay, folks, that's where we will leave off this week setting the stage for next week's discussion about what we can collectively do to protect ourselves and how to start redefining success and hard work for a more sustainable workforce. Till then, take care. <laughs>